Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Aren't you thankful for the cross and that our freedom was bought with the cross? Man, good stuff. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for that. Well, good morning again, church family and friends, and uh, if you're just joining us uh, since we opened the gathering or uh, just joining us online, uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm thankful that you've joined us, and we are continuing in our uh, sermon series through the book of Leviticus, so I want to encourage you and, and invite you to go ahead and open to the book of Leviticus chapter 17. Before we get there, though, I just want to put a reminder out there. I mentioned the Annie Armstrong Easter offering earlier to you, but also want to remind you uh, that if you would, uh, in a pre-COVID era, we would be passing the plate right now, and uh, eventually we'll get back to that point uh, for collecting of our tithes and offerings, but you can give at the end of our worship gathering, or you can go to homesavenue.com forward slash give to give there uh, to either the Annie Armstrong or to the general fund and help us with continuing our mission uh, to reach every man, woman, and child in our circle of accountability here in the Park Circle community. Um, I want to remind you that uh, we are, like I said, we're in Leviticus, we're in chapter 17 today, and the, the title for today's sermon is Honor God, Honor God. And if, if this is the first time in a while for you, or maybe this is the first time, a period for you, if you're here or online, of, of hearing about our series through the book of Leviticus, uh, we've entitled this series, Holy God, Holy People. And what we have seen is uh, this, uh, this idea of, of, like Pastor Walter said last week with the phenomenal message he preached, chapter 16 is like that hinge for the book of Leviticus, And so we've turned the hinge, we've turned the page in this sermon series, and now we're beginning in chapter 17. And as we embark in chapter 17 today on our journey, continuing through the end of the book, you're going to see that chapter 17 through 27 are how we actually live out our lives as holy people. We've seen all of these directions from God for the people of Israel and ways in which we can still apply those to our lives today as Christians under the new covenant because of what Jesus has done. But we've seen all of the the things that have been prescripted, the way in which you're supposed to do things, and now we see how we are to live these things out. And the reason I titled the sermon today, Honor God, is because we look at this idea, specifically in in chapter 17, of worship. We look at this idea of of worship, this area. Uh, We saw how uh, we, we are to follow through with rituals and do things how they were supposed to for the people of Israel. And now we see ways in which we are to honor God through the way in which we worship Him. You know, I've quoted Dr. Alan Mosley a lot. He's a, a biblical scholar, especially in the Old Testament. I've quoted him a lot through this series, and I love what he says in regard to this chapter. He says, The book of Leviticus makes it clear that knowing God and worshiping God are to be at the center of the lives of his people. The book of Leviticus makes it clear that knowing God and worshiping God are to be at the center of the lives of his people. The fact is that that is true under the old covenant for those people, and now because of Jesus, it is true for us because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so there's only a few verses that we're looking at today. It's uh, only 16 verses. So I want to ask us to stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word. And if I'll be reading from the ESV. If you want to follow along with that, it will be on the screen. The Word of the Lord says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If anyone of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, 
or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among the people. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifice, that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So they shall know, so they shall know nor sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And ye shall say to them, Any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, it will be set, it will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. It's a very important verse. Verse 12, therefore I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. And anyone also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, whom takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood, its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beast whether it is a native or sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, now as we approach your word, Lord, I pray that every distraction would fade away. Lord, that we would hear from you now. Lord, that you would use me, a a sinner saved by your grace. Lord, speak through me during this time. Holy Spirit, move in this place. And for those that are listening online. And Father, again, right now, about this time, Pastor Walter is probably standing in the pulpit now at Friendship. I pray, God, that you would speak boldly through our brother and be glorified. We love you. We honor you. In Christ's own name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. All right. For this passage today, we're going to see how God's people are called to honor God by worshiping Him alone, acknowledging His gift, and valuing life. So with that said, the first point, if you're taking notes, I hope you are, number one would be honor God by worshiping Him alone. Honor God by worshiping Him alone. And we're specifically going to look at, for this section, verses 1 through 9. Read with me again verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Here we see again that the Lord once again directs his commandments to Moses, who addresses the people. And God tells Moses here to instruct Aaron and to instruct his sons and all the people of Israel. This is for everybody to listen to. The Lord has commanded what he's about to say. Verses 3 and 4 again say, If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle 
of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall cut off from among his people. Here in those two verses, God has declared that if any one of those animals are killed in the camp or outside the camp, and it is not, it is not brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, then blood guilt would be imputed to that man. What does that mean? Not only that, but he would also be cut off from the people, excommunicated, gone, not a part of the nation of Israel anymore. Now we have to remember, for the people of Israel, God resided there in the tabernacle. The tabernacle, tent of meeting, both a, a common word for either one you could use. But there inside is the, the Holy of Holies, the place where God would reside inside of there. It's this representation of this heavenly throne of God. And we've got to recall what we have seen so far in chapters 1 through 16 of Leviticus, that they had this authorized place of worship. Specifically in verse, uh, chapters 1 through 7, we saw all the descriptions of what is supposed to be done there. And for the people who are being referred to here in verses 3 and 4, they're not following what they were told to do. God's making it clear that if they do not do this, then there is going to be major issues. You see, it's very serious because if they had to make the offering anywhere else, it would be likely that they were paying tribute or giving sacrifice to another God. That was very important to note about that is God, little g. Because we know that there is only one true God, amen? There is God Almighty that created the heavens and earth, that spoke everything, everything into existence, the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. There's only one God, the I Am. The Alpha, the Omega, beginning and the end. So anytime I reference any other God, it's a little g. It's an idol. It is nothing of importance. It is nothing like our one true God. God himself gives in the Ten Commandments, we remember from Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 6, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is very, very clear that you're not to make any God before me. I am to be the one that you are to worship. I am a jealous God. I want your worship. I am worthy of your worship. Kenneth Matthews, another biblical scholar, he, he has this quote, and I, I like what he says here. The unlawful taking of an animal's life that is using its blood, referencing there to verses 3 and 4, <coughs> excuse me, using its blood, meant that the Israelite had elicited, illicitly killed the beast. The, per, the guilty person had taken the blood for his own purposes, um, usurping God right to the right, life of the animal. In the ceremony of atonement, the blood of the animal was returned symbolically to the Lord by pouring or tossing the blood on the altar in the tabernacle courtyard. We remember that from chapters 1 through 7. Failure to return to God his due meant that the guilty person had seized from God control over the life of the animal. God is very, very clear with the way in which things needed to be addressed with these animals that are being sacrificed. That's why it had to be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, so that the priest could take it and sacrifice it for the offering that was being made on behalf of the person. 
God listed all of those rituals. Y'all know we've been journeying through it since January. We've been going and reading through constantly all these things through these 15 chapters leading up to the Day of Atonement last week with chapter 16. We've been journeying. We've seen all these rituals, the way in which God laid everything out. They had to go there to do this because that was the one place where these things could happen. Now, for us today, how, does, how can that apply to us, Brian? We, we don't have to go to a place for a sacrifice or do something like that. Well, no. For us today who are under the new covenant because of what Jesus has done, his defeat of sin and death and his resurrection from the grave, we typically gather like we do right now. We are gathered here in a building that God has blessed us with for years upon years. I mean, October, we will celebrate the 75th anniversary of this church. Praise God for that. And we've had this building here for many years. God has blessed us. But this is just a building where the church gathers. This is just a building where we come to gather together. God does not only reside here at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church when we gather. Matter of fact, right now, while Friendship is gathering, while Portside's gathering, while Pittman Street is gathering, while Centerpoint Church at Remount is gathering, while Cooper River Baptist is gathering, while all the other churches in the state, in the city, in this country, in this globe are gathered right now, God is with them because He is omnipresent. He is with us always. Christ Jesus has authority over this world and He has promised that He is with us always to the end of the age. And so we gather together to lift high the name of Christ, to thank God for what he's done. Thinking about that, it reminds me of the passage in the Gospels where it's the Samaritan woman there at the well and she's having the conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says to her, he gives her a picture of what is to come. What is, what is a picture of what we do right now. He says in John 4.23, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The church is gathered. We are gathered here in spirit and truth. We don't have to go and find the place where God resides because God is all around us. God is with us. Holy Spirit indwells us. So church, we gather to worship. Verses 5-7 through seven says this, this is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest, and to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to God. There again, reminder, as they followed through with the things that God told them to do, it brought about this pleasing aroma to God. You remember we referenced back into the New Testament as Paul writes to the churches and he's writing in his letters. He describes this pleasing aroma, a fragrant offering to God. When the church is obedient to God and we are doing the things that we have been called by God to do as his people, when we do those things in obedience, it brings about a fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma to God. Now here in these verses, 5-7 through seven that I just read, they demonstrate for us this reminder again how and why the sacrifices were needed to happen as they were prescribed. Any who sacrificed away from the way in which God commanded were worshiping false deities. They were worshiping false gods, idols, as I said a moment ago. We can see from the language of these verses that the offering made in the open field, as he says, were understood to be sacrifices to goat demons. 
Sacrifices to goat demons. What, what is a goat demon? What does that mean? The common thing that was taking place was the sacrifice of a goat because it was a common animal. And they were doing it as an idol. They were sacrificing that. These pagan worshipers were giving these things to a, a goat idol, a goat god, little g, if you will. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. They were, they were sacrificing to a goat. We have to remember as, as the people are pilgrimaging out of Exodus, as, as that is happening while Moses is up on the mount, they're down there waiting. They're like, man, Moses must have forgot about us, man. We, we just need to make a golden calf. Let's worship this thing. So they just make a golden calf. And then Moses up there on the mountain, God's like, do you see what my people are supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be worshiping me, but you see what they're doing right now? They're making a golden calf and they're worshiping it. I must bring judgment on them. And Moses there has to plead, God, please have mercy on them. All too many times we get distracted. Do we not? Brian, I would never make a golden calf. No. All too many times we get distracted by the things that are good in our lives, but we get so focused on those things that we take them off of worshiping God and giving Him the priority as He should have. More on that in a minute. The language here of verse 7 specifically, it's very provocative. Verse 7 again says, So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. It's very provocative. God says there that he refers to those who worship these idols as whores. We see in the Old Testament that the word there is referred to a physical prostitution. But here in this moment as well, it represents this spiritual connotation in verse 7. Why? By making this statement, God was declaring that when his people... Listen very clearly. When his people are unfaithful to him, worshiping other gods, worshiping those idols, they were cheating against him. The one who is to be our one true love, they were cheating against him. They were being unfaithful to the one who is always faithful. Spiritual adultery there, it's blasphemy. This word, this, this way in which they're doing that, it would continue on for centuries. Matter of fact, centuries later, the prophet Jeremiah, he writes in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 27, I have seen your abominations, your adulteries, your nayings, your lewd whorings on the hills and the field. Woe to you, O Jerusalem! How long will it be before you are made clean? You know, I referenced that a minute ago and. I said the thing about, you know, we're, we're not going to make a golden calf. No, 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 we wouldn't do that. But there are things that we do. And we can read this and we can say, I can't believe they would do that. I was having a conversation with a brother yesterday and, and, and I was talking with him and I said, you know, it's funny. We see how things are playing out in the Gospels. And we, I think I mentioned it yesterday too at Brotherhood. We, we see things, how they play out. And it's just like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Now, on our side of things, we have the whole counsel of God's word before us. We see all the things that happen. You know, you read through what we just celebrated at Easter time with the cross. And right when Jesus is betrayed, you read what happens with Peter. And you're like, Peter, why would you deny Jesus? Why? What is wrong with you? The reality is we're all sinful people. We would hope that we would not be doing that in any kind of situation. 
The reality is we're sinners and things like that could have happened with us. It can happen with us. For us today as Christians under this new covenant because of what Jesus has done, the reality is that we can do the same thing. The reality is that we can be adulterous against God. The reality is that we can give in to idols. We can make idols in our life. Any time that we take what should be our utmost devotion, prioritizing God as first and foremost above everything else, any time that we take something else that is, hear me, good, and we put it above there, we've made that into an idol. Well, give me some examples, Pastor B. I'll give you some examples. People. Sometimes we can take people, family members, our children, our parents, loved ones, and it's good that we love and we care for them and we want the best for them and we give of our time to them. But if we pour so much into that and we neglect our time with God, we've made an idol out of that person. Jesus himself says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36-39, the person's asking, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Sorry, I mixed those up. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't just pick the one about God first and foremost just to pick it there. It's because there is a priority. God should have our devotion first and foremost even before people that we love and care for. You could even say at times we worship people. You could even say at times we worship our careers. I think we can all at some point in our life look back whether you have a short period of time in the life that you lived or if you've been on this planet for a longer time in the career that you've worked. Maybe there's times where you've just been so devoted to that and moving up the ladder and getting that promotion that that has been the primary focus and almost consumed you in your life. It could be like an idol. We worship our possessions. We worship the things that we have. We enjoy the things that we have so much that they take priority in our life over the good, things that God has given to us, but most importantly, over God. I'll give you the last one. Sometimes we worship pleasure. We just want to go and have fun. We want to enjoy life. We want to go spend time out on the lake. We want to go to Disney World for a week. That was fun. But I don't constantly do that. There's times where we, we take the things that are, that are good, things that God has given to us, that bring us joy. But sometimes they take the primary focus in our lives. And no matter what, even if it's good, that can be sin. Because when we look at those things, God, who should be the primary point, that we worship and we glorify with our lives, he gets the back burner for the other things. God wants us to worship him and worship him alone. And there's a way that is healthy that we do that. We worship God, and I'm, Brian is not saying don't do all the good stuff, don't care for people. That is, that is the opposite of the gospel. What I am saying, though, is if we need to do some evaluating and say, have I put God on the back burner and not given him his rightful place, 
Do I need to do some self-examination and repent of that and adjust things in my life? I think for all of us, we could probably say, yes, there's things that we need to do like that. Verses 8 and 9, back to chapter 17. And you shall say to them, any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. Both this verse and chapter, uh, verse 8 and verse 9, they begin to bring to light the punishment for the people of Israel who committed this against God, who, who worshiped these false idols above God. We see there in verse 8 the phrase that he says, or of the strangers who sojourn among you. Now these were the foreigners that were there among them who had basically migrated with the people of Israel. And we see there that as we're, we're seeing this description in verse 8, these, these aliens, if you will, these foreigners that are there among them, they were not obligated to worship God. Keep with me. They could do as they pleased in that regard, but they were required to observe the principal religious practices of the nation of Israel. This included, as Pastor Walter talked about last week, the Day of Atonement, the Sabbath, Passover, and if they wanted to offer worship to the Lord, they had to follow the same guidelines as the people of Israel. They had to follow the same things that we've seen all throughout the chapter. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll actually see a reference to that when we get to chapter 22. A reference of these people doing that. And these aliens, these foreigners, were not to practice adulterous-type religions. Now the reality is that unfortunately, that starts to creep in. And it will continually, we see it all throughout Scripture, where things like that happen. And much like I spoke about with our men yesterday at Brotherhood, we face issues like that in the church today. I'm not necessarily referring to Holmes Avenue. I'm talking about just the big C church. We see issues where foreign things come in. Most notably, one of the things that we see is we see false teaching. We're warned about that all throughout Scripture telling us to be on the alert of false teaching and, and false things that come in. We must be on the alert of those things. And that's why there's so much importance placed on accountability, making sure that the things that are taught and, and the ministers of the gospel and, and those that are leading in the church must be held accountable so we don't see things like that happen. That's just one example of an example of like that that can come into the church today. So not only do we honor God, are we called to honor God by worshiping Him alone, but secondly, we honor God by acknowledging His gift. We honor God by acknowledging His gift. Verse 10 says, If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them that eats any blood, it will I will put my face against the person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Here in verse 10, God directs for both the people of Israel and those who are aliens, those that are sojourners among them, to not eat of any blood. Again, the aliens among them had to be careful in the way that they practice things. God says that he will set his face against the person and cut them off from among the people because this is a very serious matter. Why is it a serious matter? Notice that God says in the first person. God says it there in the first person. He has taken great offense to the thing that he's describing here because it's a very serious matter. It's a very serious reason why he says this. There are only five times total all throughout the book of Leviticus 
where God states that he will set his face amongst the person that commits this. Four times of the five pertain to idolatry, as I've already mentioned. And then there's one specific where it was disobedience to him. Now think about that as we read verse 11. I told you 11 was critical. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Here we see in verse 11 the reason for which God is so direct in the way he wants them to practice and partake of the blood as it's referenced here. Remember, the blood was used to make atonement for their souls. We just talked about the Day of Atonement last week. We've seen throughout how blood is critical for this. The blood was God's gift to give. He specifically says there, I have given it for you on the altar. God has provided it. Here is something that is very important to note in regard to the blood. The victim was represented by its blood, and the shedding of blood meant its death. It was by this bloodshed that the gifts of life and sins of the people are removed. Again, all that we've seen so far, all that we saw last week, all that we saw are seeing today, it all foreshadows to who? Jesus. It all foreshadows to Jesus. It all foreshadows to the cross of Calvary where the precious blood of Jesus would be poured out to make atonement for the sins of all mankind. We remember back from the fall. We were journeying through the book of 1 Peter. And in there, Peter says in chapter 1, 18 through 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, i.e. our sin, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, would go to Calvary's cross to die for the sins of all mankind in our place. And His precious blood was poured out, making atonement for the sin. Everything that we've seen, it's all foreshadowing to Jesus. Another picture of all of what the Old Testament does. Getting ready, proclaiming the Messiah that is coming, the New Testament, fulfilling that Messiah's prophecies. He is there. He has come. Verse 12, Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. God follows up with what he said in 10 and 11 with this absolute statement that no person shall eat the blood. And this has this same directive, <coughs> excuse me, command as that of the Ten Commandments. When God says, you shall not, it meant that it is to not happen, Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. This should not happen. Now a moment ago, I referenced the death of Christ being foreshadowed. We today honor God by acknowledging the gift. Acknowledging the gift that He has given to us. His Son's precious blood poured out in our place. We must not dishonor that bloodshed. We must not dishonor what Jesus has done for us via His sacrifice. 
Anyone who rejects the saving work of Jesus and his shed blood, as we read about through the Gospels, as we heard about on Easter, on Good Friday, on Easter Sunday, anyone who rejects that, they are subject to the wrath of God and eternal separation from God because of their sin. That is the reality of what our sin does. It separates us from God. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus, our perfect, sinless Lord, where forgiveness of sin is realized. Acknowledging that, repenting of our sins and confessing Christ Jesus as Lord. Another way in which we honor or acknowledge the gift that's been given to us is via the Lord's Supper. On Easter Sunday, for example, and each time that we partake of the Lord's Supper, we always give the warning of 1 Corinthians 11 from the Apostle Paul. He notes to not partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. We are not to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner because it is in the partaking of the Lord's Supper where we remember the death of Christ, the bread representing his body, the blood being represented in the juice that we partake it with. It is a very serious matter because of what it represents. We eat the blood, excuse me, eat the bread and partake of the cup with seriousness because of what they represent to us as Christians. Lastly, not only are we called to worship God alone and acknowledge his gift to us, but we honor God by valuing life very quickly. We've got to understand the context of 13 through 16 and what he says here in these three verses. Thus far, the instructions that we've seen are for hand and blood where it was used for sacrificial worship. But Moses here is addressing in 13 through 16 the handling of blood from animals that were not intended for worship. Verse 13, if anyone, uh, anyone also of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them, who takes in honey any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with the earth. This verse addresses hunting of animals. And in this instance, hunters had to drain the blood of the beast or bird, pour it out on the ground, and cover it with the earth. Once drained into the earth, like just, you can just picture it in your mind, covering it there with the dirt. We know from passages, for example, in Deuteronomy, I'm not going to give you a bunch of references, but in Deuteronomy uh, that we've mentioned before in our study, that they were to be clean to eat. What's important to note is that covering the blood with the earth represented respect for the life of the animal created by God. Remember, throughout the rituals, everything that was laid out, God gave specific direction for specific animals at the times that were needed for the different sacrifices. And by pouring the blood to the earth and covering it, it made the blood impossible to be used because it is now mixed in with the earth. It couldn't be taken back. Now, I want to skip for a second. I'm going to come back to 14. I want to skip to 15 and 16. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. We skip to these next two verses to see what happens if they came across an animal that had already been uh, attacked or, or eaten or something like that, and there was just remnants there of the animal by some other wild beast. And if found, there was no way of knowing if the blood had been taken completely out or drained from the meat. So they were told not to partake. 
we see a further description of this that's found in Deuteronomy 14.21. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns that he may eat it or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You see, the foreigner among them could eat it, but he would be considered ceremonially unclean. And he had to go wash his clothes and bathe himself until evening where he would be considered clean again. And if he did not, like I said there in verse 16, if he did not, he would have to bear his iniquity. Now jump back to verse 14 for me real quick. 14 says, For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. This is similar to verse 11. However, to put it in layman's terms, basically blood equals life. Blood, life. And we must remember, when God's people offered their sacrifices, they shed the blood of the sacrificed animal. So when the blood was shed, the lives of the animal were being given in place of the lives of the worshipers. It was a sacrifice. That's why God is so specific on the directions that he is giving. We have to remember that connection of the bloodshed of the animal to the lives of the animal. God's eternal law is that sin equals death. Sin separates man from God. And bloodshed was needed and valued It had to happen for atonement to be made. So that's why God is referencing here that this life needs to be honored because they had specific purposes for which they were being used to make atonement for the people. So we get into this point where we've seen today this idea of we've turned that hinge. We're now moving in from 17 through 27 all throughout the rest of the book of Leviticus. And as we are journeying through this, we're going to see these practices, these way in which we are to live holy lives, how the people of Israel were called to do that, and we find applicable things from that that we can take away. And I I hope through some of the things you've seen today, you see ways in which we can take these things and still use them in our lives, how we can apply these things to our lives, because we are called as followers of Jesus Christ to honor God. We're called to honor Him. We're called to walk in obedience to Him. We're called to live surrendered lives. Living sacrifices, as Romans 12, 1 says. I shared that with the men yesterday. That is what God has called us to. And so I want to ask you now, as we are getting ready to transition into this closing time of worship, where are you in regard to a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? And things are great? Maybe there's something in your life, you have a relationship with God, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, but other things in your life have have taken that idol. And God's been moved to the back burner. Got good news for you. You're saved by grace, through faith, and God's mercy is new every day. And so if you realize that, the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you, repent of it. And begin to walk with God at the forefront, seeking to honor and glorify Him with your life. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God and you're like, I don't even know where I'm to go next, come and talk to us. We want to direct you to understand what the cross means. Ultimately, it means that Jesus died in the place for the sins of all mankind, bearing the wrath that was reserved for us. 
and is made available to all who would repent and believe. Because as we say on Easter Sunday and every day we remember it moving forward, every Lord's Day that we gather, we gather on Sunday to commemorate and remember the resurrection. The tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, that means that God is living. His word is living. And salvation is made available to all who would repent and believe. So during this time now, we a moment of just quiet reflection for a few moments. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing this final song, In Christ Alone. And I hope and pray that that can be words that you speak, that just, you don't just speak it because it's a time of singing. But it's a time of truly saying, in Christ alone, my hope truly is found. Because of what he has done for me. So I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask you to bow with me. Ask God, what is he saying to you during this time? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. And Lord, we are so thankful that we can approach you as Abba Father because of what Jesus has done in our place. Father, I pray, Lord, for every person that is listening right now. Those that are here with us, those that are maybe listening online, those that may be listening in the future and they're listening to it at, at a given point, whatever it may be, Lord, as they've heard this message and, and your, your spirit is moving and working, Lord, I pray that they would be obedient to whatever it is that you're saying to them. Lord, your word tells us that your, your scriptures, your word does not return void. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that, that you would have your way amongst us. Reveal things in our lives, Lord, that maybe we have taken and, and we have placed in, the, in your seat. Maybe even not intentional, but Lord, it has taken that primary place in our life and we've almost made it as an idol. Reveal those things to us, Lord. Draw us to repentance so that we can glorify you with our lives. Lord, for anyone here that does not know you, as Lord and Savior, I pray that maybe today would be the day of salvation for them. Above all things, Lord, I pray, God, that you would have your way in this place at this time. We love you and we bless you in the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.